Hello, and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 320, recorded January 24th, 2023. I'm Michael Kennedy. And I'm Brian Aachen. And this episode is sponsored by us over at Talk Python Training and Testing Code and Patreon supporters. We'll talk more about all that when we get a little bit further into the show. And also, yes, for those of you listening live, you already know this, but for most people, they may not know that we're live streaming this on YouTube. And if you just go to pythonbytes.fm slash stream slash live, then you'll be able to follow over there. Usually on Tuesdays at 11 uh, Pacific time, which it is right now, you can be part of the show. That's how some of the folks are in the audience. So uh, hopefully you go over there and you know subscribe on YouTube and, and press the notify so you know when we're posting live streams. And with that, let's, uh, let's get going, Brian. Let's mark it down. I'm going to talk about Markdown a little bit while you're queuing up your next item. We do pay attention to Rich and uh, Will McCoogan uh, in the show, and I'm not going to talk about them too much, except for that um, I noticed that Rich uh, updated, um, we got a release note that they updated their Markdown parser, and uh, from something co called Common Mark, which I was familiar with, to Markdown It Pi. Uh, and I... I was curious about this, so I, I went and took a look. Um, so the, the common mark library, if we go take a look at that, um, that's up on PyPI, common mark, no big deal. But if we go look at the source um, in GitHub, it says this repository has been archived by the owner on November of 2022. Um, oops. Um, and if we look down a little bit further, it says warning, it's deprecated. We recommend using comma markdown it. Hi, and um, okay, I haven't used it, so I wanted to go take a look. So uh, Markdown it, um, I think I'm saying that right, is um, it's built on top of another, it's a, another Markdown it tool. So Markdown it is its own tool and the Markdown it Pi is a Python wrapper around it. So great, so it's a, it's what, it, do we have to worry about this one going out of, out of a fashion as well? And I, I think we're probably safe because the project this, is a part of executable books and executable books is a, uh, a project to try to build more collaboration with Jupyter notebooks. So I think we're safe now. Um, so to, to, to use Markdown it for Pi for a while. And I just did a quick, um, uh, there's a live demo thing. There's, um, uh, converting Markdown. Um, it's, it's kind of a nice, uh, package. You can do it by itself. You can convert, uh, from Markdown to HTML on the command line, or you can use it, um, within your code so you can use uh and it it's got some nice features for in code um pulling in different plugins and stuff if you have different specialties and if we go back to the original release one of the reasons why they did it wasn't just why well, the reasons why rich started using it isn't just because it's been um uh the uh, common mark's been deprecated but they say it will allow us to implement a number of additional markdown features in the future so this is pretty exciting and yeah, I'm. I'm. I don't know a lot about Markdown it, but I am gonna check it out. So this is well. If it's used by executable books and it's used by Rich, I think yeah. it's that. Those are some pretty solid um, endorsements for it. I saw that it got installed as well, and I wasn't sure why, but now I see that it's from Rich. Yeah. So I use Markdown too, and I have no idea what the status of it is. But there is so much of our website that runs on Markdown, like. Every episode page you visit, that's a Markdown page. There's a bunch on TalkPython, a whole bunch of TalkPython training. So anything that's better for Markdown, uh, I definitely, 
definitely be wanting to give that a look. Well, and I, and I don't want everybody using the same thing because we do want um, some uh, different tools to to build on each other and stuff. But yeah, indeed. Yep. All right. Should I sketch out the next idea for you? Yeah. <laughs> Let's take a look. Let's take a look. Oh my God, this is fantastic. So this was sent over by Jake Furman and Jake said, have you seen Sketch? So we've seen a lot of AI coding assistants. We've talked about the potential bordering on violating license agreements and stuff of GitHub Copilot. Everyone has surely heard about ChatGDP. I have friends who are not even a programmer. They come, Michael, I'm working on some programming thing because of Chat chat gdp i'm like all right well interesting <laughs> we'll see where all that stuff goes but here this thing called sketch is like a simple view a simple way to, to ask natural language questions of your data that's contained in a pandas data frame Ooh, yeah okay so the way it works is you go and um it's not built into the editor it's part of it, it monkey patches i believe pandas you know so it adds a function to pandas called i think ask let's see what is the way we yeah it's dot sketch dot ask or dot sketch dot how to or sketch dot apply so these are the different kinds of prompts that you can give it okay okay so you just pip install this and once it's pip installed and you import it that's all you got to do and it lets you ask data cataloging questions like is there any personally identifiable information pii within here like is there a phone number or is there an email address or is there a social security number it, this could be some big large data set and you don't want to save necessarily that or share it you can ask it and it'll ask you how to it'll basically tell you how to get rid of it as well also um give me descriptions of this data set Okay. okay, which is which is nuts. It also does data cleaning and masking to, for example, removing the PII, um, and it, it it'll extract some features and just lets you visualize stuff. So the best way to do this is to watch this one and a half minute video here. <clears throat> and so what you do, you know, what it shows you, is it says here's a pandas data frame read from a CSV, and it's got like an order ID and a price and a date and an address, and they just say data frame dot sketch dot is there any personalizing I, I, uh, information or any personal information this is yes these fields and it says how can i remove it and so it writes out the code you just copy and paste that boom now it's removed and then it says give me a friendly see if i can pause this going quick um it says can you give me friendly names stop moving can you give me friendly names in a single sentence description of each column format oh, wow. output as an html list and boom it says index the numerical index, the da, da 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 product, the product purchase in each order, order ID, a unique identifier for each order, uh, purchase address, the address of the customer who placed the order, and so on and so on. Nice. Isn't that isn't that neat? Yeah. Yeah. So it and when it spits out um, the answer, it puts a little copy tag so you can copy. You can ask it, how do I do this? You know, how to extract city, state, and zip from the address, which is a single string, and it writes <laughs> it writes the code to like. Do the split statements to pull it apart. I'm telling you, this thing is, you know, it's not going to be perfect, but it's going to be pretty good. And it's pretty interesting to just jump yeah. in. What do you think of this, Sketch, Brian? I think it's great. Hey, Sketch, how do I remove the data that disproves my hypothesis? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to need the data that uh, shows a downward trend here. Can you extract just those rows? <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, people can check this out. I think it's it's pretty neat. It says um, 
In the future, we plan to update the prompts at this endpoint with our own custom foundation model built to answer questions more accurately than GT, uh, GPT-3 can with its minimal data context. So because it doesn't know a lot about your data. Yeah. You can also directly call OpenAI directly, <laughs> it says, and not use their endpoint by using your own API key. So there's there's that. And anyway, it talks about how it works and what it sends over and stuff. So this is pretty powerful, though. I'd really um because there's so much data for people are using and 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 different things. We kind of expect it now. Um, I was on a, a working on a project where just recently where somebody things like to test result analysis and uh, a question of like, can we just put natural natural language strings in there to query it? Why do we have to? And so. People are kind of expecting this all over the place now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just want to highlight just the last one there. It says, go to the data frame, sketch on how to. Using Plotly, plot a map of the total sales in each state. Boom, you get a perfectly inter perfect interactive map, uh, um, a geographical map of the United States. With like, That's pretty neat. Yeah. To be able to just jump in and do that. Like, sure, you could go search and look that up, but, you know. Instead of I'm, just doing df.head, df.tail, um, and so on, like, <laughs> how to? I could think I'm ready to hang up a shingle for, like, a data science uh, uh, side job. Uh, I'm pretty sure that you and I could pass as at <laughs> least junior data scientists now. <laughs> just with this. Yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> anyway, I think I think this is pretty cool. I'm, I'm pretty psyched about it. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah. People, people should check it out. From what I can tell, it doesn't cost anything. Uh, so... And just just play with it, which is really nice. And also, before we move on, I just want to tell people that this episode is brought to you by us, Brian. So there's a whole bunch of Python courses that if you get inspired over at Talk Python Training, we've got the Python 311 guided tour, which is a couple hours of hands-on showing why that's awesome. Python data visualization. So if the sketch stuff was interesting, like there's a bunch of that there. And oh, there's also something on PyTest, isn't there? Yeah, highly recommend that course. It's great. Uh, I do as well. All right. So if you want to support us, the best way you can do it is to support our other work as well as share the podcast with your friends. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yes. I also All want right. to thank the Patreon people because they're it's yes. great. Um, we don't really talk about it much, but you can support us through Patreon as well. And we very much appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. What you got for our next one, Brian? Well, I want to go in circles a little bit, actually going back to the year 2021. Uh, no, in uh, 2021, we covered an article by Hinnick uh, called Subclassing uh, in Python Redux. And it's a great article to talk about, like, um, just how to subclassing and dealing with um, classes in Python and just to get your head around it. So I did read it and I, I enjoyed it. And then this year, I came across the problem and I'm like, I think I can solve it with something I read in this article. So I'm going to scroll down to the thing specifically. Um, and it's called, uh, so we have nominal subtyping with abstract based classes. I tried that, but I decided to go with uh, structural subtyping. And with structural subtyping, basically, um, your uh, my understanding is, I just it's like duct typing, but with like it's like strict duct typing. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it says here, um, as you can see, uh, the the if you've got something calling two two things, two classes talking to each other, one of them doesn't have to know about the other. So in this example, we've got a reader and a foo reader, and uh, you know, f f it's just a reader protocol. We just need to 
know that there's a reader protocol here. So I kind of like that. I, I just knew this was here and I'm like, I, how do I apply this? So I went ahead and wrote up an article called fixing circular imports with in Python with protocol. And this oh, is nice. directly from this. So the, um, it's just, I zoom in on one special case. I really have like, if I've got a class director and actor and, um, they talk to each other. So a director tells an actor to do an action, no big deal. It has to import the actor, right? So the actor gets a director. So I'm going to, uh, it gets data from the director. And, um, so it has to be able to call it. Well, I could just pass in self. And since we have duct typing, it all works fine that, uh, we just call director, get data. Uh, so far we have no types that the problem comes in when we have types. If we add types to the whole mix, um, then, uh, when we add types to, uh, the director, it's no big deal. We just add types to everything, but to add types to the actor, suddenly the actor needs to know what type the director is. And that's where we get the problem. And that's exactly, exactly the kind of problem that I ran into is I wanted to add typing to this, to a, a similar problem and it blows up. It actually blows up really bad. You can't, you, Python just says you can't do that. It's circular import. So um, the protocol solution is really slick and I'm going to scroll down to the, to the, to the answer. The answer is just, I just need a, I just need a little bit of a snippet of code that says um, I've got this class that is derived from protocol, but it's just got a get data function. And that's all I know about it. I know what it returns and that's all I know. And now I can say that my director really is that type and that's it. Um, the actor has to change to say what type it is. Um, and the rest of the code just works. Um, and I don't have to change the director. I don't have to change the test code. It's just this, uh, it's just this one file that I'm changing. And I like this because I, I'm adding typing. I'm not changing the code at all. Um, and the only thing is that, uh, yeah, anyway. It's a, it's a slick way to use it. I think so too. It's a little bit like interfaces, but yeah. less, you know, in the traditional Java or C sharp, the I innumerable or whatever type of interfaces. Yeah. The first, uh, and then, uh, Hinnick goes through, uh, uh, abstract base classes also. And that's one thing you could do is you could have a, a base class that has this get data function and, and both the director and the actor know about the base class, but, um, you don't really need that. Nobody else needs to know that except for this one file. So protocol is a nice hack. So interesting. Yeah. Jonathan in the audience is asking why not just use abstract base classes. It's, yeah, it, they both work. So it's just a personal preference thing. So yeah. yeah. And Kim in the audience is asking as a question of style, do you prefer an ellipsis over the word, the keyword pass to indicate an empty, empty function? Well, I am, I'm, warming to the the ellipsis a lot because i write a lot of test code and i write a lot of test um example test code and if i say an empty an empty function that is a is a test function and i use dot 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 um it's clear that i'm i'm not finishing it whereas if i say pass i've actually had some people get confused and think that the pass keyword is how you pass a test <laughs> um <laughs> It's not. <laughs> it can be uh, if you've got no. Well, you're not going to raise an error in that that test method yeah, if you go yeah. pass in there. I mean, it's it's <laughs> sort of a way to pass it. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like it too to say, look, I don't, I don't want anything here. I don't intend to come back and fill it out. Just this is it. And the, it cool. kind of matches the ellipses match how um, how we do uh, like type stubs as well. I think I'll use ellipses, but 
Uh, I don't know if they have to. I I think they do as well. Like if you go and look at TypeShed, um, and you look at the stubs in there. Like let me just grab one rando. Yeah, they all ha- all those have dot dot dots yeah. dot dots dots for their default value dot 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 for the implementation. Kind of gnarly looking if you open them up, but there they are. So yeah, it, to me, I kind of feel like I'm matching the stub yeah. definition. Like I don't intend anything to be here. Yeah, exactly. Right. All right. Ready for the next one? Yes. This is a, a simple and I think will be useful to many, many folks. This one comes to us via Rudd Vanderham. Rudd Vanderham, thank you. Uh, sent it over and recommended, also created it. So we've all seen like code samples um, that, that I don't know why, but I guess it's a decent way to explore it. But it's always, I've always found it a little bit difficult to consume. Basically, I want to show you how this bit of code works in the REPL. Here's what happens. Copy this and, and use it, right? Yeah. And when you see that here, you have the the triple arrow and you write some code. The triple, you know, write arrow, no, greater than, greater than, greater than, right? You might do a for loop, which then has the indents and it does a triple dot, dot, dot to show you that, well, now you're still in the same command, you know, and then eventually a closing dot and you run it. And if you print out, you just say a variable or a response, then that gets printed without any of the the dots or the greater thans or anything. It's just straight up as if you said print that, right? So if I do like copy this and I want to explore it, I've got, okay, you know, remove all the triple dot, dot, dots, unindent it correctly, remove the arrows, uh, common, you know, it's just like, yuck, (laughs) right? It's just a hassle. So enter unrepl, the the inverse of repl, where you say, take this code and make it runnable for me. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Super simple. Like, even if you're in the REPL, you can't take what you're copying from someone else's example and put it in the REPL because then you'll have (laughs) triple greater thans. And so you just take this code and the way it works is you copy it to the clipboard, your code sample that you got from this REPL thing. And then you just call unREPL as a CLI and it replaces the clipboard with contents of exactly what you would want. And it even comments out the output. So what? wasn't code is now a code comment oh wow nice that's perfect yeah really perfect right yeah so i I can certainly see that this is a a handy thing that people may want to install so when you see the instructions here it says you can just use unrepl.py and the way that you run it it says up here somewhere okay what you do uh, so what you do is you copy it and then you run, oh, great, he's updated. It just says unrepl. It used to say run unrepl.py, but it's also on PyPI, uh, which means that you can pip install it. But I would not pip install it. This is not the thing that goes into a virtual environment to be part of a program. This is a CLI tool that you just want to have yeah. available. So I would re- replace pip with pipx. And then you just globally have this command on your computer just happens to be implemented with Python. But you copy it, you know, just type unrepl, and then, you know, whatever is in the clipboard is now better. Okay. It doesn't say use pipx, but I think it. I think that's the way. That's certainly how I would do it if I'm going to install and use this thing. There's a way to set up an auto hotkey on Windows only. I have no idea about this, so y'all are on your own there. Okay, so <laughs> how, do you do, how do you use it on the command line? You're just... Um... You just type the word unrepl once you've installed it in the path, which pipx, of course, does. And then you paste your code or use it to 
Yeah. So you copy your code, type unrepl on the command line. It looks at your clipboard. Oh, okay. Unrepls it, it, and then it replaces it, the clipboard, like basically with a new copy. Oh, um, that's neat. Command. Yeah. That's great. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So really easy. It also says uh, you can import it into a program and use it if for some reason you feel like that's the thing you want. And it has special handling of the, the underscore, um, which has special meaning in the REPL. Like it knows the, about underscore and treats it. Okay. Well, like for instance, like somebody could like maybe change bpython or something like that to uh, to allow you to paste right in. So yep, yeah, neat. Yeah, people out there think it's nice. Uh, this is a nifty little tool, says Kim. Um, and see, it uses TK Enter presumably for clipboard access. Uh, I believe so as well. It should use Paperclip, I believe. Paper Paperclip rather, Paperclip. If if I were saying it, that's like a super small, simple little thing, cross-platform copy and paste. But you know, it doesn't matter uh, really what it uses to accomplish. Copy and paste. It's all but good. TK enters like built in now, is just normally. Yeah, right? that's true. So I guess there's no dependency. That's right. There's no dependency. So okay, maybe I take that back. Maybe that is better. Anyway, I, I love paperclip. But this is cool. If you're, I don't know, if you're working on a book or if you're learning a lot, where you're grabbing stuff off of tutorials. Um, yeah. I kind of sort of spoke tiny, a tiny bit disparagingly of this because the style of showing the REPL output, because I'd rather show an example that has executable code and a print statement. You know, I, I kind of already write this output like, here's the code, you know, comment, here's the output, right? Yeah. So I don't know, it just, it seems a little more reasonable to me, but whatever, people can uh, write them in any style they want and this unrepl will roll it from one to the other. Yeah, you can also use um, uh, doc test to... Uh to check your rebel docs. Yes, exactly. And um, and while out there giving a challenge to the community, I think someone should write a PyCharm and VS Code plugins um, using this so it becomes part of the part of the editors as well, which would be pretty neat. Paste as, paste from, right? Paste from rebel. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, but, yeah, but it's, it's already really handy to have it just, you know, just pop over to the terminal and run this. Yeah. All right. Awesome. I guess that's it for all of our items, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah, we have we've come to the end of all of the main things. What do you got for our extras today? Well, I was going to mention that I wrote an article, but it was it was my item, so um, <laughs> perfect. So, so that's it. There you go. How about you? There you go. I got a couple of quick ones here. Um, so think this happened since our last show, but pretty much right after it shipped. If you have Git, you should update it. So there's remote code execution level vulnerabilities in the Git client that is sitting on your machine if you have less than 2.39, maybe even less than 2.39.1. I can't remember the exact version. But until last week, there was a problem. I'll, I'll link to this over here. Um, but you don't really want that. Yeah, it affects 2.39 and older. Um, yeah. I know. So um, careful. I mean, if you're only pulling stuff from your own repo and only you can put stuff in your repo, you're safe. But if you're checking out someone else's repo or PRs or things, you might not like it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Another one here. Um, over on Python um, Training, we, as much as I don't like to, had to add um, some kind of validation. And it used to be that dreaded recaptcha thing from Google, and it would say, find all of the stoplights and you're like, well, is it the pole of the stoplight also the stop? I mean, technically it is, but it's not the light part. And it'll be like, try again. You're like, no. Right. Um, but 
because it's the internet and we can't have nice things. Unfortunately, <laughs> I had to put something there to, to slow people down because they were just pounding away on it um, in various ways that were not ideal. We had stuff to mitigate it, but it, it, once you start encountering botnets, then you, you kind of get yourself into a bad place. So I had to put the recaptcha stuff there to, to keep people from messing with it. And I hate recaptcha, but I did it because I had to. So then when Cloudflare came out with Turnstile, I'm like, yes, this is so much better. There's, it doesn't ask you about chimneys or fire trucks. It just does a little like run some code on your browser to prove that you're not just uh, requesting and posting this from some bot, but it's a real browser. Off it goes, right? So that's great. Um, Eli Cobbler, Cobbler said, hey, this is awesome that you got this working. I can't get it working. <laughs> how, how to use it? So uh, I ended up posting a gist, which has an implementation of this using a, like a faux web framework. Doesn't really, I didn't want to tie okay. it to Flask. It just says like, uh, here's your thing that handles the form post. Do this. It shows the HTML bit, which also Cloudflare would show, but they don't have the Python version. And then it has the um, pedantic based API validation stuff here, which is, this is the gnarly bit. So he was like, I can't get it working. Could you post this? Boom. And apparently he got it working as well, but I'm sure there are other people who equally hate find all the haystacks, find all the fire trucks and would rather use turnstile, but it's kind of tricky to use. So they can also use that gist if they so wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, David Poole says, Google's, Google's CAPTCHAs made me doubt my own humanity. <laughs> yeah. So I always thought like it'd be fun to do like trees instead or like plant identification. Like, yeah. um, <laughs> like find the azaleas. Um, find the azaleas. What? <laughs> uh, let's see. So on when I talked about getting a bunch of stickers on my computer the other day, remember that? Yeah. Well... One of the stickers I put is "I'm not a robot," and it's like a validated recaptcha. So I just thought I'd, that was fun too. But that's that's yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so if people are interested and, and they want to try out Turnstile, which is way more privacy oriented, also nicer because you don't have to interact with it. It's just a little hard to work with. Here's some code that they can try that at least one other person has been successful using. So that's <laughs> a tepid but somewhat good um, testimonial. How's that? That's nice. All right. Thank goodness it wasn't in the JavaScript, Brian. <laughs> Yeah, because no. if it's in the JavaScript, I don't yeah. want to have to go debug that. Do you want to debug it? No, I don't want to debug it in the JavaScript. It might make you so crazy as if to go and like literally write a song about how much you don't want to go into the JavaScript. Yeah. Now, I am very unskilled at music, but um, <laughs> Dylan Betty is actually quite skilled and has a whole bunch of really funny songs here like the big rewrite based on american pie with an eight and a half minute long song i'll point out and he wrote a programming song against it awesome your your api is a hall of shame you give rest a bad name based on the bon jovi song but neither of those are the one that i'm referring to no i'm referring to the song called bug in the javascript based on piano man by billy joel <laughs> this is good stuff right yeah now it's six and a half minutes, so there's no way I can play it, but it starts out like you've checked all of your database indexes, you've tuned all your API hooks. You're starting to think that you might need a drink because there's only one place left to look. There must be a bug in the JavaScript because everything else is built properly, but the front end's a pile of crap. 
<laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> I like I'm it. I'm starting to think that I might need a drink because there's only one place left to look. It's really good. I recommend people put this on. And if you're working with uh, Angular or or Vue or some front-end framework, you can play it loud in the obvious in the office just to just to share a little bit of the feeling. Yeah. Anyway, that's what I got for you this week. People that's can go good. watch the YouTube video. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, you bet. And uh, thanks for being here. Thanks to everyone for listening. As always. Thank you. Bye. Bye, y'all.